Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Tim Carstens, who's the MD at Base Resources. They're an ASX-listed mineral sands company with assets in Kenya and also Madagascar. We talk through uh, the projects in Kenya as they wind down. Are they going to be able to extend the life by uh, adding a couple of new projects there? Also, in Madagascar, conversations around terms with the government uh, are the forefront of his mind, along with uh, funding and how they choose to do that. So if you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation and the various topics discussed and the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis, which you might find interesting, commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. There are training courses on there to help you with your diligence process, plus summaries of other interviews that we've done to save you some time. And of course, there's a big thriving community of intelligent investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from trolling and abuse. Uh, and if you like the sound of that, you should go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Tim, how are you doing, sir? I'm very well. How are you? All good over here. Whereabouts are you? Uh, in Perth. Um, we're confined to barracks in Australia for uh, for the foreseeable future. Okay, no, not bad barracks, quite frankly. So does that mean like you, you have not been able to get back into Kenya or Madagascar since I last spoke? No, it's been nearly nearly a year since uh, I was I left Madagascar around the middle of March. So um, yeah, it's been a been a long time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, well, like we wanted to catch up with you. Got half year results. You're you're throwing dividends around uh, as well. So it's always quite nice to talk about. Um, could you, for people new to this, because quite a few new people um, on the platform now, can you just give us that one minute overview of the business, and I'll pick it up from there. Yeah, sure. Um, we're headquartered in Perth, um, listed on the ASX, also listed on AIM in London. Uh, our flagship operation is the Kuala operation in Kenya. Uh, we produce, um, we're a mineral sands producer, pure clay mineral sands. So um, we produce ilmenite, rutile and zircon. Uh, Kuala has been operating since uh, the end of 2013 and, and continues to be an extremely strong, robust, consistent cash generator. Uh, and in 2018, we took our first step into um, expanding the business with the acquisition of the Toliara project in Madagascar that we've uh, been progressing through the study phases. Brilliant, I appreciate that. Look, and I think for people who want to kind of get into the business plan strategy, the team, etc., I'll point them to the link below in the description below. Um, they can pick up on that. I think today we want to talk about where you are today and looking forward. So last time we spoke, I think it was June, July of last year. We weren't quite sure how this whole COVID thing was going to pan out, um, but you're preparing for the worst. You drew down 75 million bucks facility that you had. Was that the right move? Yeah, look, I think I'd do it again. Um, you know, obviously with the benefit of hindsight, you say it was an overreaction, but you know, based on the way we saw the world and the risks that it it presented, and then the unknown, you know, none of us had been down this path before. It, you know, it was the right call. Um, you know, we we made that decision in April um, based on the, the view that you know he he who has the most firepower wins. Um, so we repaid 50 million of that at the end of September, and the last 25 will be um, repaid at the end of March. Okay, so we better explain to people where all this money's coming from. Uh, you've got a very cash generative ATM in Kenya. Um, so just run us through the basic numbers there for again for people new to this. Yeah, Kuala is a pretty substantial um, producer. Um, the guidance for this year is 
you know, for about 270,000 to 300,000 uh, tonnes of, uh, of root of um, ilmenite, um, 70 to 80,000 tonnes of, uh, of uh, rutile, and 24 to 27,000 tonnes of, um, of zircon or thereabouts. Um, we're very sort of weighted to the second half of each year, uh, or this year in particular, but we're on track to, to hit that guidance. Um, spinning off good amount of cash, um, we uh, we paid out 30 million US in our maiden dividend in October of last year, and in conjunction with this uh, first half of FY21, we've we've paid a or declared or determined, I think is the correct phrase, uh, another dividend of uh, which will be about 27 and a half million US. So combination of those two is six and a half million, uh, six and a half million, six and a half cents per share. And the context of a at the moment a thirty one cent share price, and it's pretty pretty sizable yield. Yeah, for, for sure. And that, I do want to come on to that in a second. Um, so, with with regards to what's what's happening in Kenya, you've been there a while. It's been throwing off circa one hundred million EBITDA every year for for a long time now. So, and as I say a lot, a lot of cash um, being, being splashed around too. You're running down the grades on. Some of the dunes there, and you're, you're, last time we spoke, you were looking at sort of a, a northern dune, and you were looking at maybe a couple of other assets too to kind of extend the life of operation in Kenya. How's that gone? Yeah, so with, with the um, south dune that we're mining now, we've been mining for 18 months, it's our lower grade of the two dunes we started with. Um, and we've actually just finished the lowest grade half um, that we'll have over the life of that, that deposit. That's got all through until the end of 2023. Um, the next, uh, I guess, opportunity for extension comes with the pre-feasibility study uh, on the North June, which is our third deposit. Um, that's due for delivery in April. It's a very large June, but it's extremely low grade. And just to put that in context, uh, this uh, half was our lowest grade half um, at 3.1% heavy mineral. Um, the South June averages about 1.4, sorry, the North June averages about 1.5 to 1.6%. So very low grade. Um, not clear what, if any, of that will make a, you know, a sensible extension of the mine. Uh, we're still going to wrap up the work to, uh, to de- decide that. Um, but there are a couple of pieces of it that we think will, will add some extension. The question is how much, you know, is it, is it five months? Is it six months? Is it a year? Is it two years? Is, um, the, the sort of thought process we're just going through at the moment. Um, then beyond that, we've got some areas that we want to get in and get drilling on to, um, to, to better understand. Uh, we've got one area that we did some drilling on in the last sort of three or four months. Um, it's called what we call the Vanga deposit or Vanga um, prospect. Hasn't really shown much of interest yet, but we've still got a fair way to go in that work. Um, you know, one of the main areas we want to get into, we're still waiting on the exploration license to be granted, and I'll, I can come back to that in a minute. Um, but the other area that we're looking to get into has been, um, it, it's been a bit problematic with community access issues over an extended period of time, but they've been resolving relatively quickly over the last you know, six months or so with a change of political leadership in the area and, and the like. So we're hopeful we'll get in there with some some auger drilling just to test that out in the in the near near term. Um, and then further afield, we've got a couple of projects that we're pretty excited to get into. Uh, one in particular is, depending on which part of it you're talking about, between 50 and 70 kilometres away from the Kuala current operation. 
but it's uh, pretty exciting from the perspective of rutile potential. Um, so we're you know really keen to get in there. The, what's holding us back there at the moment is again this granting of license issue. And what what the core of that is about 12 months ago, the government made the decision to close the cadaster in Kenya while they cleaned up um, a few ethics issues in the way some licenses were being issued or had been issued. Uh, and they've been working on that over the last 12 months. And that's meant that you know, no licenses can be granted. So um, we understand that that moratorium on or the, the closing of the cadaster and the moratorium on issuance is likely to lift in the you know, coming weeks, month, um, which we're pretty pretty excited about because then we can get the show back on the road. Well, I mean, obviously, you're quite an important part of the Kenyan mining scene because you told me you're 65% of it uh, when we last spoke. Yeah. Um, so mining is not uh, a big part of the economy in Kenya. Uh, mining um, regulation, mining law, I mean, is that easy to work with? Are you working with the government in terms of or with, around this cadastra? Um, are you able to influence it? Uh, look, we, we work pretty closely with the with the government in all forms um, and with the ministry. But the the process of cleaning up the sort of ethics side of the cadastra is something that you know it's not not our not our place to put an oar in the water, to be honest. Um, but um, yeah, we, we we work pretty closely with the government. We um, you know from a regulatory point of view, it's it's quite a reasonable framework. There's very good respect for the rule of law in in Kenya. Um, they went through the process of uh, producing an updated or new, pretty much was new, uh, mining code in 2016. Um, so a lot of work went into that. You know, I think there's still quite a bit of work that could go into that further to make it more attractive uh, for, for future investment. I think the government understands that too. But um, yeah, from a regulatory point of view, it's, it's, a, it's a good environment. Right. And with the, the two projects, um, obviously west of Kowale, you, I always wonder about the kind of ESG component because you're, you're going to be raising uh, funds for Madagascar. People, funds look at you and how you operate in country. ESG is becoming a very big part or certainly one of the big components of the decision to allocate funds. Um, have you seen uh, any reason or cause for reason for concern in Kenya or in, in, in the way that they would look at the way you've behaved in the country? Not at all. We're, we're seen as the poster child um, for how mining should be done in um, in Kenya. We, we win a lot of awards for the way we go about things, you know, whether it be from World Wildlife Fund or World Economic Forum. Um, our community development programs are seen as the benchmark for how these things should be done. Uh, yeah, it's you know from a safety perspective, you know, we've we've actually volunteered our safety system um, as um, you know almost open source to the ministry uh, to to use what they think they need to use of it to try and raise the standards amongst the artisanal and small scale miners. Um, we've done similar things with our industrial training um, framework with the National Industrial Training Authority. So, you know, where we are really regarded as, you know, one of the first thought of companies when people are thinking about who gets ESG right in practical terms 
in in Africa. Um, what we probably haven't done quite as well as we could have is, you know, we've been doing the do um, extremely well. You know, we haven't been doing the promote of that or the articulation of it or, you know, the reporting of it in the way people like to see reports now. Now, that's something we've recognised as a, a shortcoming and where we need to we need to lift our ESG reporting so people can have that better real-time window in on what we do. Okay, well, gives a, gives a snapshot of that. How much are you spending locally? Uh, community development programs in Kenya are about three and a half million US a year. Uh, we've been doing that over a long period of time. Um, you know, we've we've spent. I um, mean, well, in terms of COVID response, about another two point five million um, US on you know things like we we procured a hundred uh, ventilators for the medical system. Um, we've produced one hundred and forty. I think was the final number of. Um, uh, hygiene stations right throughout the Kualae County area, so that people actually have infrastructure to be able to, you know, wash their hands as a as a first defence against COVID. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty substantial investment. But we we have a bit of a different philosophy around community engagement, and this probably tells the story. Um, I've actually banned the use of the phrase um, corporate social responsibility because to me that's the that's the language of obligation. It's it's what you do to be seen to be corporately socially responsible. And we we treat all of this as just core business. It's it's imperative to our strategic direction, and we believe is a source of strategic competitive advantage. We focus on what we call a felt fair exchange of mutual benefit. So we're very clear with the community what we need from them, you know, from a proud, happy workforce to a, a reference for where we want to go next and everything in between. Um, and we're very clear about what we're going to provide to them um, in order for that to be felt fair. Uh, and that sort of transactional approach you know, gets rid of surprises. It gets rid of this sort of sense of dependence on, on community or, or tokenism is the other sort of way a lot of those programs tend to manifest. It has to be meaningful if we're going to get what we know. No, I think I think it's interesting. And the only reason I ask is because it's becoming such a big topic, has been with funds for you know, the last five, 10 years, uh, retail just kind of um, catching on to it. Um, I think another phrase that we hear a lot is uh, social license. And that, again, is, suggests that I'd say, yeah. we'll do this but you've got to allow us to do something else. It's conditional. So, um, yeah, I like I like your approach. But you, I think, yeah, document it. Some people need to hear more about <laughs> about this for sure. Yeah, we, we've, uh, we've got quite we've got quite a big project this year um, on you know, elevating our our uh, reporting framework. Right. Okay. And I think the reason you're going to have time to do that is because again, for people new to this, the actual process. Sorry, the mining for you is quite easy. Technically, it's very easy. Right. Just add water. It's the processing bit that adds the value. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, from a mining perspective, it is pretty simple. I mean, um, the mining guys get a bit upset with me when I describe it as stockpile management um, rather than, than mining. But um, oh, look, I mean, there's there's quite a bit to it. The way we do it uh, nowadays is is with hydraulic mining. So we're just using monitor guns, applying water to the to the face of the sand dune, and then creating a slurry that gets pumped up to the, the mine site, and then we just progressively rehabilitate behind ourselves. Um, so you don't have a huge swathe of land disturbed at any point in time. Uh, but, yeah, the magic's in the processing. It's, it's um, as much art as science in, in some ways. It's, it's um, all based on physical separation rather than chemical separation. So just playing off on small differences in the physical properties of the grains. Okay. So let's, let's start with the market before we get on to Madagascar, if you don't mind, because you, you've demonstrated in Kenya that you're able to do this, you're able to do it and make a stack of money 
and now you've identified a project in, in Madagascar, but there's got to be a market for this. So uh, Ilmanite, Retail and Zircon, um, what's happening in those markets at the moment? Is it, you know, are the prices going up? Are they static? I mean, what's, what's happening? Where's the demand coming from? Yeah, well, in, in terms of um, uh, Ilmanite and Rutile, I mean, first, first thing just to point out is they're, they're just two different forms of titanium dioxide. Um, Rutile's, you know, call it 95% um, TiO2, uh, and Ilmanite in our case is around 50% TiO2. Um, they're both predominantly used in the production of pigment. So pretty much everything you see with a colour, whether it's, you know, from food dyes to clothing to car paints to packaging, uh, has a titanium dioxide pigment in it. Um, and now we, we were anticipating that we would see quite a sharp drop off in demand over the course of the COVID experience, when the reality is that pigment um, consumption over 2020, now based on the latest statistics, looks like it was higher than 2019, um, which is quite, quite surprising. There's been a, a redistribution instead of as much of it going into the production of cars. We've seen a lot more in, in packaging, for example, or you know, do-it-yourself painting of houses. And now we're starting to see the consumption consumption associated with um, a lot of the stimulus programs starting to also drive demand. So we've seen the um, the Ilmenite prices continue to rise. You know, we're, right now we're getting the highest prices for Ilmenite that we've had since we've been operating when we started at the end of 2013. Um, it's around $250 a tonne, uh, FOB. Uh, Rutile came off a bit, the high-grade feedstock came off a bit over the course of the half. Um, but, you know, November, December started to really tighten up again um, and based on demand from downstream customers rather than sort of supply constraints particularly. Um, and we're now seeing that price starting to move back up to, you know, around $1,200 a tonne, uh, which is, is the, the high level. You know, we haven't seen it higher than that too many times in the, in the past. The third product we produce in Zircon um, is predominantly used as an opacifier in ceramics. Um, it's uh, price is moderated over the course of um, you know most of the early part of 2020, uh, stabilised through the second half of 2020, and now we're starting to see you know demand picking up again and the market tightening up nicely. So um, if you look forward a few years, and it's one of the things that motivated the acquisition of the Toliara project, um, there is just an absolute need for new supply to come into the market. You know, the, the slow march up of, of demand based around global GDP growth um, has caught up with supply and there hasn't been any new supply come on in any meaningful way. You know, basically since Kuala and a couple of other projects came on back in late 2013, early 2014. Uh, and, and there's a need for new supply. So um, we think we're standing at the front of the queue for that with you know, the best project in, in the Toliara project. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, that whole behavioural economics of the last year, but not many people kind of, I think, called it called it right. And hopefully with these infrastructure programmes, you'll, you'll um, you know, benefit from that. Um, but looking forward, when you say there's no new... Uh, supply coming on in, in, in the sense that, you know, there's no big meaningful supply. We, we spoke to a few companies that are trying, but struggling yep. with, with finance. Um, where are you inserting yourself in, in, in the queue? Because I noticed last time you were talking about, you know, 75% of your sales are, you know, contracted, right? Um, you're going to have to take a view on how you, and that's obviously from all from at Kuala. Um, when you get Toliara going, um, has your view, uh, 
have the optics of last year or your thoughts on supply demand going forward changed your thoughts about how you would contract with Toliara materials? Not, not, not at all. Um, I, I, I guess the, the key point to make here is it's not just us on the supply side who are seeing the supply shortfall coming. Um, the, the, big, the big customers, the, you know, the major pigment producers around the world are seeing it coming as well. Um, and, and are reasonably nervous about it in terms of how it dovetails in with their expansion plans. So what we're seeing is quite a degree of interest in A, contracting meaningful volume, uh, but B, probably more significantly in the context of funding Toliara, um, is the interest in, in potential joint venture participation in the project um, to be able to secure a larger slice of the um, of the offtake. So there's yeah, a lot going on in that space at the moment. So, so let's think about that. So I know you're looking, potentially looking for a strategic partner. But you, you, I'm sure you've got various options, but given your track record, and given the scale of what you think you've, you've got ahead of you at Toliara, um, and the supply demand story that you're, you're talking about in the marketplace, is this a buyer's market or a seller's market? I mean, how good a deal do you think you'd be able to do with a strategic partner? Or do you think you just get regular financing and, you know, the demand's always going to be there? Oh, look, I mean, we, we would be quite happy to um, progress the project with regular financing um, if, if that gave the best answer to shareholders. Um, we, we see a real opportunity with um, bringing in a joint venture participant uh, for a few reasons. Um, one is obviously as a contributor to the financing, but that really depends on the pricing of that participation and you know whether that's a better answer for shareholders or not. Um, but because of the strategic angle to it, you know we're we're feeling like we're going to get an answer that's significantly better than um, you know a straight financial um, equation. The, the second thing is bringing in a big partner like that enables you or gives you the comfort to sign an even bigger offtake agreement with one party, knowing you've got their feet to the fire. Uh, and being able to do that just provides so much more certainty uh, around the marketing effort. When you're bringing on a big project like Toliara, where you're talking about 800,000 tonnes of ilmenite um, you know, to begin with. Um, the other thing it does, given the size of the ore body we have at Toliara um, and the, the clear scope to expand that production reasonably, you know, quite efficiently, given that once you build the infrastructure, you don't need to expand that. Um, what that means by bringing in a big partner like that is you can potentially underwrite a rapid move to that expansion uh, by, by having broken the back of the offtake. So there's a whole lot of really good reasons to go down this path. Okay. And, and again, before we just dive more into the Madagascan project is let's talk about your uh, half yearly results. Nice big dividend there, but what are the, what are the other big numbers that people should be paying attention to? Um, well, I mean, EBITDA for the, uh, for the half was you know, just under 34 million US, which is, which is lower than the run rate that we've had in the past. Um, it's a function of mining volume during the half, which was a bit lower because we had an eight day shut. Um, it was a bit lower because we were mining lower face heights, which mean we've got to move gear more often. Um, it was our lowest grade um, pe uh, period that we're going to have. And the third um, factor was just timing of sales, to be honest. You know, we, we ended up having a major retail shipment go out in the early weeks of, of January rather than in um, than in uh, in December. So the, the split for this year will be more or less 40-60 uh, for the two halves. So that's why we're still on track for the for the full year. Uh, so it's a really, really strong half operationally. I mean, given all of the 
um, destabilisation that could have occurred with COVID. You know, the fact that we were able to maintain production at the level we thought we would, no interruptions, costs have been, you know, maintained at exactly the level they have been. Uh, and we haven't had any safety issues at all. You know, we haven't had any LTIs and no medical treatment injuries. Um, you know, it really shows the, the degree of focus the guys have, have had. So I, I, I rack up this six months as a, a stellar six months. Right. Net loss at 6.3 million. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, there's, there's a few factors in that. I mean, obviously, the, the the lumpiness from half to half is one factor. It's timing of tax payments. It's, you know, few other odds and sods, you know, the, the second half will be considerably better. Great. Okay. Let's go to let's go to Taliara. Okay. Um and I want to start with the government first. Okay. They were on a steep learning curve, it seemed. Again, you're in a uh, not it's actually it's actually the reverse of that, to be honest. Um Madagascar has had two very large mining projects on which to cut its teeth. You know, we had Rio's QMM project um, that was built you know, 15 odd years ago. Um, and then we had the big Ambatavi uh, project, nickel cobalt, $9 billion, um, huge project. So they've learned a lot about mining. Uh, unfortunately, the, the problem is that, that to a certain extent, the government's been disappointed in what those projects have been able to generate for the country. Neither of them have been particularly um, or have been profitable. They just haven't delivered the result that they thought. So there's a bit of a bow wave of perception that um, we've got to overcome. Um, and, and being able to point to how we're going to be different. Um, and uh, so for them, from a government perspective, there's a completely legitimate and understandable desire to make sure that they get it right with this one. Hence why they, you know, they're they looking for um, a bigger bigger share of, of the project. And, and by that, I mean not equity share, but royalty rates and, and the like. Um, and they just—they're being pretty cautious in the way they're tackling it because they, you know, don't want to get it wrong. But I think last time we talked, we talked about the conversations that had gone along the lines of getting free carry and twenty percent ownership and so forth. And you were having the conversation: well, how do we maybe give you something, but maybe use royalties as a mechanism to do that? So, I mean, how are those yeah, conversations going? Sort of. I mean, the, 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 the equity issue has not been the issue. The, the, the issue we had was back in late 2019, um, a, an initial draft for an amended mining code was just sort of thrown out with no consultation, and it included the concept of 20% production sharing, um, which is not an equity interest. It's taking 20% of production. So it's um, in economic terms, it's the same thing as a 20% royalty. Now, uh, pretty quickly, uh, you know, People of the ilk of the World Bank and others, um, you know, advised the government that that was not a sensible pathway from a policy perspective, and that got withdrawn and disappeared um, quite quickly. Uh, and subsequently, the advice that's sort of you know going into government is around more modest increases in royalties. You know, we've we've heard from the the Minister of Mines at different times, you know, talking about an increase from two percent to four percent. Um, you know, that sort of order of magnitude. So. Those discussions are progressing along, um, you know, not at, as rollicking a pace as we would perhaps like, but still progressing in the in the correct direction. So you're getting help from development funds and the like. Well, well, the Madagascar government are getting of, help. Are, yeah, look, they're they're not remote from advice now uh, as they were back in late 2019. There is advice going into government, um, uh, which is which is encouraging and uh, just a. A question of how long it takes for that to percolate through and, and comfort to be landed that um, 
sees them want to move forward. But we're consistently hearing from government in all manner of different ways that they're very keen to lift the suspension on activity and get this project moving. Um, so we're just, you know, being patient. No, no, no option other than to be patient, I suspect. But um, <laughs> talk, to me, talk to me about, because obviously no one's going to give you 350 million bucks until that's nailed down. They need, they need certainty over the, the, the terms and your agreements with the government. So it's not a question if, it's a question of when, right? So you're not going to put a date on that yet. No, we're not. Um, we, we stepped away from trying to arbitrarily put a date on it because, to be honest, we'd be guessing. Um, and it, it, it doesn't help anyone for us to be nominating dates when we have no real basis for knowing when we're going to land it. Um, so what we are saying is from um, lifting of the suspension, which will be in all likelihood um, comment, uh, you know, uh, consequent with the agreement of fiscal terms, we've got 11 months of work to complete. Uh, until we um, can achieve an FID, and then there's 26 months from that point until first production on a ship heading off. So just to emphasise that point, if we were to land the fiscal terms by the end of March, you know, we'd be looking at an FID around the end of February next year. Okay, so it's, it's the process is very quick once you've got certainty from the government as to where they're Yeah, because we've, we've done a lot of the work. Yeah, we've done a lot of the work and we're continuing to do a lot of the off-site work. So things like the financing is all progressing. Uh, we're probably taking that as far as we can take it without being able to get boots on the ground and have uh, fiscal terms agreed. I mean, things like the lenders' independent engineers review of the, the entire configuration of the project, that's been completed. Um, yeah, they're happy with the, the configuration of the project. The only uh, thing that sort of final sign-off on that is waiting for is is just a site visit to ground truth sure. um, things. But, you know, we've, we've taken that a long way down the track. But I just want, just want to understand where we are with the government thing. So we're far away from the 20% of production and we're sort of near a more conventional royalty level. So you're arguing, well, not arguing, you're discussing down around, you know, regular royalty level levels. We're... Not- we're, we're, we're Trying to, you know, We're change dramatically. Now. Right. Okay. Okay. Yep. We. I can't. I can't really say any more than that. Be inappropriate. So. Okay. Okay. I, I just put in the minds of investors. I'm trying to say the, the the cost to you if you're negotiating down one end versus the other end is obviously significant. So it's oh, absolutely. And as soon as we have um, something to report that is, you know publicly available will be publicly available. Okay. Tim, um, appreciate your time. Maybe just leave us some thoughts about what we should be looking out for in 2021. Yeah, 2021 is going to be a very, um, a, a really big year for us. And, and we, we're expecting it to be transformational in the sense that, you know, we'll, we'll have some greater clarity around life of mine in, in Kuala and Kenya and hopefully, you know, extending our stay in country. Um, I'll, be, I'll be pretty surprised and massively disappointed if we're, we're uh, you know, not really off and running with, with the Madagascan project. Um, you know, we, uh, both parties in, in us and the government have, you know, really clearly aligned interests in wanting to get this moving quickly and expressed desire to get it moving quickly. So we just need to make sure we land on a sensible outcome. I've got a high degree of confidence we're going to get there. Um, and then uh, I think we'll find by this time next year, you know, we'll be having a conversation about an, an approaching FID. Excellent. Tim, appreciate your time today. Stay in touch. been great talking to you. Yeah, cheers. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. 
Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.